And welcome to yet another week of Offbeat Oregon goodness. As ever, I am your host, Finn J.D. John, FJ at offbeatoregon.com. And as you are probably all too aware, it is a Monday, which means instead of reading you one of the archive columns from the past 14 years of Offbeat Oregon history, I'm going to be reading you a primary source document, something interesting pulled from the pages of Oregon history. It's an oral history interview by an Oregon writer. We're writing for the Works Progress Administration's Federal Writers Project as part of the Oregon Folklore Studies Initiative during the Great Depression almost 100 years ago. Well, almost 90 years ago. Anyway, it was in March of 1938 when a writer named Claire Warner Churchill welcomed a visitor named Anne Abernethy Starr to the Federal Writers Project office located in the Elks Building in Portland. Now, Mrs. Abernethy Starr was a resident of Monroe, Washington, who was in town visiting family members in Portland, possibly including her sister, Miss Camilla Abernethy, who had suggested her to the WPA writers as a good subject for their Oregon Folklore Project. Mrs. Abernethy Starr was an extraordinary person. If you are familiar with Oregon history, you will certainly have recognized both her family names. She was especially interesting for the WPA folks to interview as she had been one of the very first telephone operators in Portland. Here is the preliminary questionnaire that WPA writers like Mrs. Warner Churchill were given to introduce the subjects of the oral history uh, stories that they were collecting. Ancestry, American Ancestry. Place and date of birth, born in Portland, Oregon, 1869. Family. Family. Sarah Fidelia Gray, daughter W.H. Gray, pioneer missionary, and William Abernethy, son George Abernethy, first provisional governor of Oregon country. Places lived in with dates, well, Portland, 1869 to 1890. Education with dates, Portland Public Schools. No dates furnished. Occupation and accomplishments with dates. One of the first telephone operators in Portland later worked as a draftsman for Park and Lacey Machinery Company, Portland. Special skills and interests. Seamstress, where, quote, stitches could not be seen. An expert knitter, where three pairs of socks was no unusual output for a day's work. Draftsman or draftswoman. Community and religious activities, no religious affiliations met, mentioned, presumably congregational. Description of informant, no description given. <laughs> Other points gained in interview, an exceptional personality. So with that out of the way, what I'm going to read next is the transcript of Mrs. Warner Churchill's interview with Mrs. Abernethy Starr, one of the interviews done by the writers of the WPA in its Oregon Folklore Studies series. So here we go. Mrs. Anne Abernethy Starr, who now lives in Monroe, Washington, is the daughter of Sarah Fidelia Gray and William Abernethy. She was born in Portland in 1869. Sarah Fidelia Gray, her mother, was born at Salem, Oregon, November 1843. She was the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. W. H. Gray, pioneer missionaries to the Oregon country. 
W.H. Gray was the author of Oregon History, a book. This book, according to Mrs. Starr, is now worth $25. $25, of course, in 1938, a fairly large sum of money. William Abernethy, her father, son of George Abernethy, was born in New York State, New York City, 1831. George Abernethy, who arrived with the Methodist Mission Contingent, became a merchant at the Falls of the Willamette, that is, Oregon City, and was elected to the Provisional Governorship of the Oregon Country, an office to which he was re-elected. After the flood of 1861, George Abernethy removed to Portland, where he again engaged in merchandising. His establishment at the Falls was furnished merchandise by his own ships, which brought supplies from the East and from the Sandwich Islands. That would be, of course, Hawaii. Abernethy money, a kind of scrip issued by the Abernethy store, was commonly used during the pioneer period when U.S. coins were scarce. That, of course, would be the rocks, the Abernethy rocks. Abernethy was prominently identified, according to Mrs. Starr, with the provision for and the coining of beaver money, the gold five and ten dollar pieces minted by the Oregon Exchange Company at Oregon City. Mrs. Starr spent her early life in Portland. Being the oldest of eleven children, she found many things to occupy her hands. Children in those days learned to knit at an early age, so young, in fact, that Mrs. Starr cannot remember a time when she could not knit. When questioned as to whether an output of three socks a day was not very large, she replied that it was not, explaining that the hand-spun yarn used in those days was soft and large and knitted very fast. Mrs. Starr was taught how to sew by her grandmother Abernethy, a wonderful seamstress who required that any stitches that could be seen must be ripped out. Material was bought by the bolt rather than by the yard. As a girl, Anne made dozens of pairs of panties, dozens of petticoats, aprons, and dresses for her younger sisters. Her family did not have one of the hand-turned sewing machines, but they did have one of the earliest sewing machines used in this country. William Abernethy, son of George Abernethy, had the first sewing machine agency in the Northwest. His agents, as far north as Walla Walla, found a ready market for the old Wheeler-Wilson machines. Some of the correspondence relating to the sales of sewing machines is still in the possession of the family. Before they had a machine, all sewing was done by hand. Anne made a complete hand-sewn dress for herself when she was eight years old. She attended school at the old Central School in Portland. Miss Fanny Holman was her teacher, advancing with the grades. The recent visit of President Roosevelt to Portland recalled to her the visit of President Hayes in 1878. Editor's note, when President Hayes came in 1878, there was actually a gunfight in the street outside of his hotel. That's a great story. Anyway, the children of Old Central School lined up on the sidewalk and street, greatly excited over the appearance of so distinguished a caller as President Hayes. He addressed them from the steps of the schoolhouse. The Portland George Abernethy residence was at the corner of 7th and Salmon Streets. It was moved back from its original location and then, several years ago, was dismantled entirely. About 1868, William Abernethy bought 163 acres of land at what is now known as Abernethy Heights, not far from Oswego on the River Road. The house built there is still standing, but it has been considerably remodeled, presenting today the appearance of a colonial structure. Originally, it was of two-story construction with a balcony along the second floor and a porch on the first. The kitchen was at the back, either in an addition or under the extended roof. Elk Bluff and Elk Rock are both on the old Abernethy property. 
This farm was on the first Macadam Road out of Portland, a toll road with a toll gate at the Red House, a tavern on the River Road. Some distance farther up the river and nearer the Abernethy Place was another roadhouse, the White House, near which there was a racetrack where horse races were held. Editor's note, you may remember the Red House and White House were discussed a couple Mondays ago, well, four or five Mondays ago, in another one of these interviews. Back to our story. A bachelor named Leonard owned the White House. Mrs. Starr says she can remember when this road was built and recalls seeing the chain gang of prisoners breaking rock for construction purposes. Mr. Bader, 316 Railway Exchange Building, Portland, can tell something of the present owners of the Abernethy Place or at least can give directions for reaching it. Harvey Starkweather can do the same. The Abernethy Place was occupied by the Somervilles, then by Will, William Ladd, and later by the McKay family. They may own it now. Anne Abernethy was a niece of Caroline Gray Cam and used to make trips on the riverboats owned by Jacob Cam, her uncle by marriage, and Captain Will Pope, a cousin of her father, William Abernethy. She said that one of the happiest memories was taking a trip up the Columbia, accompanied by a girl chum, Anne Pope. They were the only passengers. That evening at dinner, the crew amused their guests by telling tall tales. When the engineer, who was supposed to be the greatest liar of them all, had finished his tale about the fish that flipped right out of the frying pan and into the sea, Anne Abernethy told her tale. It happened that she had considerable experience as a narrator, being trained from youth to entertain her younger brothers and sisters with folk tales. The story she told concerned a cat that couldn't be killed. After trying innumerable means of death, the irate owner took the cat into the woods and chopped its head off with an axe. Well satisfied that he had at last killed the animal, he returned home. Imagine his astonishment when he reached home to discover his cat sitting on the doorstep, holding its head in its mouth. The Abernethy children were a healthy lot. Ten of them lived to maturity. For fifty years, their circle was not broken. Then, in January 1937, one of the ten died. In pioneer times, even a merchant such as George Abernethy did not have white sugar for daily use. White sugar, packed in blue paper in cubes, was brought from the Sandwich Islands, that would be Hawaii, of course, and was served only on feast days, special occasions, or for company tea. Brown sugar, coarse-grained, was used for daily fare. Both brown sugar and flour were always bought and sold by the barrel. Bread and butter with sugar on, as the children said, was a favorite for lunch and for those in-between meals that youngsters love. Quote, Grandma always does. Anne Abernethy was one of the first telephone operators in Portland. The exchange, located down toward the present waterfront, was operated by four girls. They not only had to know the names of all the phone patrons, but had to memorize the exchange numbers as well. Directories were not used at first, and patrons rang central and asked for the party they wished by name. Pat Bacon, now prominent as a telephone company official, retired, worked for the company when Anne Abernethy did. Later, she worked as a draftsman for Park and Lacey Machinery Company. It was her responsibility to go into the yards, measure the various patterns, and then make drawings of them. She was so adept at this work that when she quit the firm to be married, the foreman was greatly chagrined. She was married to Benjamin Wallace Starr in the old Congregational Church in Portland, September 17, 1890. Reverend Walker performed the ceremony. Mr. Starr was descended from the Massachusetts Stars, who were the common ancestors of the other Oregon Stars who lived in Benton County. Dr. Comfort Starr, 
owned a farm on the present site of Harvard University. What the students identify as the college yard was formerly the front yard of the Starr Farm. Benjamin Starr was born 1860 in Missouri, although his people formerly had lived in New York State. He grew up in California, came to Oregon in 1887. William Abernathy went from Oregon to California during 1849 for the gold rush. He reported that the mosquitoes in the Sacramento Valley were so large and vicious that they could drill holes in iron pots and that their stingers were so long they could be clinched on the other side of the pot. Play parties were frequent in the old days, and once a year at least balls, which were real social occasions, were held. The Governor's Ball and the Pioneer Ball were especially fine. Singing schools were held in an earlier day. Mrs. Starr says that her grandfather Gray led and taught singing by playing upon his flute, but that he never sang a note. Birthdays were festive occasions in the Abernethy family, and Christmas, Thanksgiving, and the Fourth of July were always observed. When queried about pioneer foods, Mrs. Starr recalled the cracked wheat germs, hot bread now generally called muffins, and a kind of sour milk biscuit or hot cake made of stale bread. Stale bread was soaked overnight in sour milk. The next morning, soda was added for leavening and perhaps an egg for binding the mass together. It was then fried in cakes or baked in iron gem pans. Governor Abernethy was originally buried in the Lone Fir Cemetery, but his body was later removed to the Riverview Cemetery, where it is guarded by a shaft on which the DAR has placed an appropriate plaque. Other members of the family are also buried there. W.H. Gray and his wife are buried now at the site of the Wailatpoo Mission near the Whitmans. They were buried originally on the Clatsop Plains. A tall shaft on the small hill commemorates all the workers at the mission. Among documents which the family has preserved is an original James Douglas letter. It was once published in The Spectator many years ago. The family also has letters signed by Peter Skeen Ogden and some by Douglas and Ogden. Douglas and Ogden, she said, were joint factors at Fort Vancouver following Dr. McLaughlin's retirement. The family also has a piece of printed material, a special newspaper or bulletin issued as a call for volunteers when the Whitman massacre occurred. There also were several printed papers, but they may be duplicates in the Oregon Historical Society. There is also an old account book kept by George Abernethy, but Mrs. Starr is not positive where it is now kept. It should show the transactions of a pioneer store, what was bought and sold, and the general trend of business and price levels and changes, and should be of considerable importance. There are probably a good many letters written by Grandmother Gray in the archives of the Connecticut DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution. Mrs. Gray kept a diary, but it was burned when the house in which she lived in Astoria was burned. She wrote her letters in a diary form and sent long ones to relatives in the East. It took from one to three years to get an answer. One of the incidents told about Grandmother Gray was that concerning the removal of the Gray family from the Whitman Mission to the Willamette Valley. When the family, Mr. and Mrs. Gray, and three small children reached a place near the Dells, the snow fell so fast that they could not go on. Threatened with death by exposure, Mr. Gray sent an Indian to Vancouver for help. Dr. McLaughlin sent a boat. Ascending through the storm, the pilot was at a loss to discover the people he was sent to rescue. Then, across the wind-blown water, he heard a sweet voice singing hymns. Mrs. Gray was undaunted in her faith in the Lord. Guided by the song, the boatman reached the family and took them to safety. As an editor's note, that last anecdote definitely smacks a little bit of uh, legend. Anyway, that's the end of the interview. There's some additional comment 
which is, um, to wit, descendant of one of Oregon's most prominent early families, Mrs. Starr remains an outstanding personality. Alert, intelligent, very cooperative, has some material on imprints, I believe, informant read interviews, and verified details. Well, that concludes this WPA interview transcript. There is a little bit more information on the file, which you can find online in PDF form from the Library of Congress at loc.gov slash item slash WPALH 001932.